The gospel for this Sunday comes from John chapter 18. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, what is truth? This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the life of the church today is Christ the King Sunday. And if upon hearing that, your first thought is, what is Christ the King Sunday? Then don't worry, it's a good question. It's a question worth thinking about. As you might know, the church year follows a slightly different pattern than the ordinary calendar. Each season carries with it key ideas, themes, images, and stories. It all begins not on January 1st, but on the first Sunday of Advent, a season about anticipation and hope and longing as we prepare for the birth of Jesus. Then there's Christmas, 12 days of joy and celebration, followed by the weeks of Epiphany, when we begin to turn our eyes from the manger in Bethlehem to the wider world, wondering how this child born for us is about to shake the foundations of it all. Lent quiets us, challenges us, calls us to the work of repentance and reconciliation with God and with one another. Holy Week tells us the hardest, most painful stories about betrayal and cruelty, about an unjust trial and faithless friends, about the valley of the shadow of death that comes for every one of us in the end. And then Easter proclaims that it was not the end after all. And Pentecost leads us through the stories of Jesus's life and ministry as we imagine what it's like, what it is for us to follow this risen Christ with our hearts and our souls and our minds and all that we are. Festivals pop up here and there, like Reformation Sunday and All Saints from just a few weeks ago. And then it all comes to a close with this last Sunday of the year, Christ the King Sunday, which isn't a season or a particularly well-known festival. I mean, nobody goes home from church to have their traditional Christ the King Sunday holiday meal 
today or anything. And it might easily feel like the middle child of liturgical days, easily overlooked. Oh, we say, I forgot you were there. But this day is no ordinary one. It's not just thrown in there at the end of the year because we had an extra Sunday that we didn't know what to do with. In fact, Christ the King Sunday is perhaps the most radical, subversive, and I'm going to use this word intentionally, and then we will unpack it for most of the rest of the sermon. This is the most political Sunday of the church's year. So why do I say that? Well, Christ the King is the most modern of the festivals in our calendar. It doesn't come from ancient Christian tradition or from medieval imagery for God, which we might easily think. In fact, it's a 20th century edition proposed by Pope Pius XI in 1925. It started with his concern about the rise of fascism in Europe and the increasing power of dictators who disenfranchised their people. It began because the Pope noticed how many people of faith were eagerly embracing these leaders and their tactics. It began as the church's clear, bold, and unapologetic political statement, if Christ is king, then these dictators are not. Church and politics have frequently been a toxic mix. We all know this. That's not just history, that's right now. So when I say that today is a political day, I want to be clear about what I mean and what I don't mean. Our word politics comes from the Greek polis, which means city. Politics, then, means what's good for the city and its citizens. In that classic sense, to be political is to be concerned for the common good, for the real conditions of life which affect our everyday lives. People, humans, we can't live as communities without developing some guidelines and rules for our life together. Eventually, that will include things like how to participate in making those decisions and those rules and guidelines, and what the consequences are for people who break the most important rules and guidelines. Politics is just the word we use for the decisions we make together that impact our everyday lives as people. Partisanship is something else. Making large-scale decisions as a nation, for example, is going to result in a lot of disagreement. We know this for sure. And so people form groups based on their common agreements with each other and their disagreements with other groups. That's partisanship. Partisanship isn't the kind of politics the church is meant for. Because good people can disagree on how to get things done. 
and all political parties are full of imperfect, imperfect, flawed human beings at every turn. When people say they don't like politics, or they don't want to get political, or the church shouldn't get political, what they often actually mean is they don't like partisanship, and they don't want to get into partisan arguments. But that doesn't mean that the church and politics can't be in conversation with each other. Not at all. Now, as the church and as church's leaders, we're never going to tell you who to vote for. But the church will boldly proclaim that it is an act of faithful stewardship to vote, to work for a system that values and counts every vote. And say, to say that when you make decisions on your ballot, or you decide to run for office yourself, or you volunteer in the community, or you choose a job that enables you to change somebody's life on a regular basis, that's you. You, the church, being political. Because that's you, the body of Christ, participating in our common life. That's you, the church, taking practical steps to try and bring our earthly life closer to the kingdom of God. And you can do that no matter which party you belong to. In fact, you're called to do that no matter which party you belong to. That's the work and the political work we share together. One of the many things I love about the church about this church is that we're not the same. We gather in a room, we gather online, we have different experiences and different abilities and different stories. We vote differently, we dress differently, we celebrate a variety of traditions in our families. We're single and married and divorced. We're gay and straight and transgender. We're young and old and somewhere in between. We're shy and loud and funny and serious and wealthy and struggling. We walk and we use wheelchairs and canes and walkers. We carry doubts and wonderings even while we're reciting the creed and reading scripture together. We're not the church because we are the same. We're not the church because we agree. We're not the church in order to become the same. We're the church because we trust and believe that if Christ is king, then dictators are not. If Christ is king, then presidents are not. If Christ is king, then we are not. If Christ is king, and we take that conviction into every corner of our lives, including the decisions we make about how to build and structure our common life. If Christ is king, then we're political. And here's why I say that. Because the decisions we make together and the work we do together about who our leaders are and what our rules are and what the consequences are and what our support systems are, 
those decisions change all of our lives every single day. And if you want a very specific example, then let's go back to the gospel story. It takes place in a courtroom of sorts where Jesus is on trial for his life. He's been brought up on shaky charges, but there's a power imbalance in the room and it's not on his side. Pilate wants to know if Jesus is a king. And Jesus never really says yes, but he, never, he doesn't say no either. He simply declares that his way of ruling is utterly and completely different than anything Pilate has ever encountered. He has come to testify to the truth, to draw us into the truth. And the reading leaves us with Pilate's last haunting question. What is truth? You could take that question in a really academic direction, just like you could think about Christ the King as an image or an idea or sort of general concept. But that's, that's not how the story goes. For Jesus, being the truth and calling us into the truth means enduring injustice and physical violence and dying as an executed criminal by the state. For Jesus, being king means calling people into a kingdom where the hungry are fed and the outcasts are welcome and the children are valued and the prodigal sons are embraced and the women are the first ones to proclaim the resurrection. For Jesus, these great big ideas like truth and kingship aren't days on a calendar or themes for a hymn or festivals in the church year. They are realities with consequences. They make the world a very different place in specific and practical ways. And so when Jesus calls his disciples to follow him, he tells them to do those specific practical things just like he does. They are to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, cure the sick, shelter those who are without homes, visit those in prison, break the chains of oppression, and declare the year of the Lord's favor. They are to work for the common good. He tells them not that the kingdom of God is far away, but that it is at hand. It's right here and right now. And that means today is the most political day of the church's year. Because if Christ is king, then what we do and say and sing and pray as a church, it can't just stay in the walls of the church. Because if Christ is king, then we are called to practice a way of life. We're not just to live it in the church or in our personal lives, but everywhere. If Christ is king, if Christ is the truth, then we can't let things stay the way they are. For if Christ is king, 
the truth who has come to set us free, then the kingdom of God is at hand. It's in our hands. It's in what we do and say and how we speak and how we act. If Christ is king, then we are here to build up the common good of the polis, the city, the daily lives of our neighbors and ourselves. If Christ is king, then everything we do is holy. The kingdom of God is near. May we live boldly as those who know and are known by the truth that Christ is king and nothing else is. Amen.